I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. It's been an amazing thing to watch. At the James Beard Foundation, we've been investing in this idea of chefs as advocates and culinary workers as advocates for about six, seven years now. And what we started to see very early on, again, probably like March 9th, 10th, maybe a little earlier, was a huge group across the country of chefs and restaurant workers who were like, oh my God, our industry is going to be in huge distress. And those people could see the tsunami coming at them. The date is April 8th, 2020, and that is Catherine Miller, Vice President of Impact for the James Beard Foundation, our guest on this special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is a special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman. As always, my great thanks to Sam Pellegrino for covering the production costs of these special reports. We wouldn't have been able to deliver them to you without them. Before I introduce today's guest to you, I have a bit of homework for everybody out there who's interested. When we had Phil Rosenthal on our special report a few weeks ago, I spoke of the need for a little levity these days to be mixed in with our more serious special reports. And with that in mind, I'd like to invite you all to watch the Bradley Cooper movie, Burnt, which is the saga of a Michelin-starred chef on the road to personal and professional recovery in preparation for this Friday's show. I don't want to say too much about it, but we're going to have a little fun at Burnt's expense. It's not a very good movie. And I'll have a special guest here to help me do that. It is going to be a fun one. I think it's worth you watching the movie before Friday. You can catch it on Amazon, Vudu, for those of you who don't know, that is V-U-D-U, Google Play, and other platforms. And then be sure to meet us back here on Friday when we treat it like a pinata. Okay, today's guest is Catherine Miller. Catherine is, again, the Vice President of Impact for the James Beard Foundation. Catherine and her team are responsible for engaging the culinary community in the ongoing process of creating sustainable food systems for all. At the moment, like so many of the people in the industry, she has been swept up in the fight for the survival of restaurants and other hospitality businesses. And I invited Catherine to come on the podcast and offer some suggestions for how those of you out there in the industry can help yourselves at this very frightening time, and also to share a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes in the restaurant advocacy efforts that she is a part of. This is our conversation. There's two things I really love to talk about in this conversation. One is to give people out there. Our, our our listenership is mostly industry, you know, a lot of chefs, but also a lot of line cooks, sous chefs, servers, managers, uh, the workers, right? The, the rank and file. I 
know that a lot of them have seen, because it feels like it's maybe half of what's on social media right now, you know, notices for various organizations, petitions, et cetera. Um, one of the most prominent ones is one that the James Beard Foundation is uh, affiliated with, which is the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Um, so I'd like to maybe, though, take them a little bit behind the scenes of that and give them a sense of just how hard some really smart, creative minds in the industry are working to try to make sure there's an industry to come back to when this crisis passes. The, the thing I'd like to talk about first, though, is can you maybe speak to, as you just said, the backbone of the industry, people who are out there who are have been you know, either let go, furloughed, whatever applies to them, what, what are things people can be doing in this very uncertain time and on this very uncertain time frame to, to take care of and advocate for themselves? Yeah. Um, no, those are both huge topics. I mean, we're really proud to be um, part of the founding group of the Independent Restaurant Coalition for all of the policy work that it's doing. But, you know, really the backbone of our industry is the people who work in these restaurants, whether it be, you know, the executive chefs, sous chefs, but also, you know, the bar backs and the wait staff and the um, front of the house folks and the dishwashers. And there are you know, and I think the most important thing right now is everybody needs to figure out how to take care of themselves. Um, this is an incredibly stressful time. And so I think the, you know, we've really been prioritizing at the James Beard Foundation, pushing out resources available related to mental health, resources related to sobriety, resources related to how to apply for unemployment benefits if those are the things that you need. Um, how to reduce the aspects of shame or stigma to, you know, depending on government benefits. Maybe you've never had to do that before. So, I, you know, the most important thing people can do right now is, you know, stay healthy, stay safe, and, you know, do what they need to do for themselves. So when you mentioned some of those resources, you just said mental health, sobriety, managing or or dissipating or dealing with the shame and stigma. This is something that's come up in a, in several conversations I've had on and off the air that it, this sounds so, you know, a lot of, it sounds very cliched, but a lot of cliches exist for a reason. Yeah, Cooks are not used to, uh, you know, part of the way you succeed in a kitchen is by establishing yourself as kind of a can-do person, somebody who yeah. can be relied on, somebody who's confident, somebody who anticipates other people's needs. Um, it is not a comfortable thing for a lot of people out there in the industry to ask for help. Um, those resources are those resources on the James Beard Foundation website. Yeah, so um, we have a whole host of web uh, resources on our homepage, uh, including our resources related to mental health and sobriety. Um, you know, this is this is the most generous community that's out there. It is also the most industrious and can do. I mean, we have a you know pet phrase at the James Beard Foundation that chefs get shit done, right? Um, and that is just how this community operates. And so it's not one that's used to taking a pause for itself. It's not one that's used to asking for help. Um, it's always one that just solves whatever problems in front of it, whether that be, you know, uh, you know, an order didn't come or a clogged drain or the, you know, the water's not working to, you know, a disgruntled uh, customer. So any, any of those levels. And so the, the need, there are a couple things there, right? One is that with the mental health and sobriety, this is an industry that, you know, 
is known as having, you know, is being more stressful in some ways. And the responses to that stress um, being the use of drugs and alcohol by, you know, even more than minors or heavy construction, right? Like that's what the data shows us. Kat Kinsman, who I know you've had on, will tell us over and over again. So it's important for people to maintain whatever program they've been on um, at this time. It's also maybe a time for folks to look into those programs. So we have a webinar up on our website with resources. We have a list of all the great resources. We link also to the food and wine list that Kat put together. Um, So that stuff is out there and people need to take advantage of it. Um, The piece around stigma and government benefits is this is also a really industrious community that often works two and three times jobs, right? Two or three jobs, works, you know, more hours, uh, works long and difficult hours, works non-traditionally, and never thought they might need something like SNAP, the emergency food um, resources, never thought they would need to go on extended unemployment, right? Um, But those resources are there for these emergency situations, and there shouldn't be a stigma around them. And right now, with a $600 additional unemployment benefit on top of what people get from their state agencies, there are resources out there that will help people cover their rent, that will help people you know, pay for grocery bills, help people do all the things they need to do. Um, we have that as well as on, we just did a webinar on that last week, and that is also up on our website. So you know, those, uh, those things are out there, and you know, we really want people to take advantage of them and not suffer the stigma of them. So first of all, I'll just mention, and I'll mention this, I'm sure, at the end of the show as well, but I will link to, much as we did with all the resources that Kat mentioned when she was on last week, I will provide links at the episode page for this show on our website and also on Apple Podcasts for this uh, the episode description for this episode. Uh, I'll put links to everything Catherine is describing. Um, you know, the other thing I think is worth mentioning, when I was in my 20s and I lost a job I had... And a friend of mine said, you should uh, apply for, you know, unemployment. And I said, well, I'm able-bodied. I'm not going to do that. And and the friend of mine said something, which I think everybody should bear in mind with any governmental program, which is you have paid into these programs. Yes. When you pay your taxes, this is what it is for. It is like an insurance policy. Is that an accurate way to describe it? I think it's like an insurance policy, but it's also, these are emergency benefits. I think this is part of the challenge. I mean, this is one thing that I hope really comes out of this period is true empathy, right? Um, yes. For folks. And that at this time, isn't it great that we could all be, um, we're all kind of in the same boat, right? And are we able to be empathetic to folks to be able to sort of understand where people are coming from and just know that these things are not, there's no shame. We, we paid into them. There are meant to be emergencies. You're not going to be unemployed forever, right? Like restaurants are going to reopen at some point. Um, there are, you know, going to be jobs out there, but we also need to pay our rents right now. And so there's no stigma in using these programs that one you've paid into and two are really meant for emergency situations. The other thing, Catherine, I'm wondering if you have been just, this will be anecdotal, I'm sure, but I've noticed it in speaking to people. And I do think this falls again into this um, kind of reluctance, I think, of a lot of people uh, on the front lines of the industry uh, who maybe aren't used to talking about these kind of things. But 
I, I, I find that in the conversations I've had with friends and, and in passing with people, uh, cooks and whatnot, the isolation right now, it's not just that you're unemployed, it's you are used to spending a huge amount of your time in the company of other people in a very intense way. And 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 both the kind of conversation of, of the prep day and the breakdown time, and then the intense kind of group concentration of, of the performance of a service. Um, these are things that I think it's very disorienting for professionals to be without all of a sudden. Is that something you're hearing from people? Oh, 100%. I mean, this is an incredibly social industry, hospitality first, right? Um, and whether it's in the back of the kitchen and on the line and how you get along with your teams and that how much time you spend with them, right? Like they really are kind of your family in many ways. I mean, you're spending 14, 15 hours a day with folks, um, the customers, the regulars, um, the seeing people, right? It is an industry that's built off that. And so it's rough right now for everybody. I mean, we're, you know, my husband and I are living in a thousand square, a thousand square foot apartment in New York city, and we can look at the outside, (laughs) right? But I haven't set foot you know, in a really crowded space or in a restaurant since March 11th. And it's killing me. I can't wait to go out to dinner again. (laughs) Um, I can't wait to sit at a bar and have a cocktail and an appetizer with a friend. But, um, you know, so that is one of the reasons that I think people really need to pay attention to their mental health at this time. And whether that's, you know, an online yoga class or workout class, whether that's a Zoom or, you know, an online catch up with friends, whatever that is, um, it's really an important time. Uh, it's really important for us at this time to take care of ourselves. And incidentally, I have to say, my last restaurant experience was the same date as yours. I had lunch at Huni Kim's restaurant, uh, Donji, on the 11th of March. And little did I know, but that was that was the last experience for now. Um, and like you, I started having dreams where I'm going to rest, you know, just, just in a re- like just in a, just in a restaurant. Nothing even 100%. happens. I'm just in a restaurant. Yeah, 100%. I should mention, in the interest of full disclosure, that our main promotional partner for this show is San Pellegrino, who were- uh, We love San Pellegrino and Nestle. They gave us a million dollars to our fund. Yes, who were very, uh, who were who, who, who generously helped get the uh, IRC off the ground, the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Uh, but can you speak to, you know, take people behind the- Instagram posts they've been seeing behind maybe the petition they signed, which I would encourage everyone to go to saverestaurants.co, which is the website for that group, and and sign that petition. But can you just give people a sense of the kind of mobilization um, that's happening behind the scenes and how hard people are working to make sure there's an industry to come back to? Because I do think it would be very heartening to people to hear the kind of day and night effort that's going on that I've been a little privy to, but you're really in the trenches. Yeah, no, it's, it's an amazing, it's been an amazing thing to watch, right? Um, at the James Beard foundation, we've been investing in this idea of chefs as advocates and culinary workers as advocates for about six, seven years now. Um, we have a signature program called the chef's bootcamp for policy and change. And, uh, where we train chefs and restaurant workers to be advocates on policy issues. And for years, we had been doing that focused on sustainable seafood or food waste or going to the Hill to talk about hunger relief. Um, and what we started to see very early on, again, probably like March you know, 9th, 10th, maybe a little earlier, um, but right around that time was a huge group across the country of chefs and restaurant workers 
who were like, oh my God, you know, our restaurant, our industry is going to be in huge distress. It's 11 million workers in the independent restaurant community. Um, it's more than, you know, 450,000 independent restaurants around the country. And those people could see the tsunami coming at them in terms of potential unemployment, closings, the damages to local food systems. And they started to organize, right? Um, we saw it in Chicago. We saw it in Seattle. We saw it in LA. We saw it in Atlanta, Austin, all of these places where folks were getting together first to meet with their governors and their city representatives to get licensing changes, to get rent abatements, all those types of things. And But also what we started to see in Washington was the idea that the administration and the Congress was recognizing that it was going to have to infuse all of America's industries, all of America's industries with capital through economic stimulus. But where was the independent restaurant voice? And so, you know, very early on, some very prominent chefs, Tom Clicchio, Kwame Nwache, Naomi Pomeroy, um, and others uh, got together and uh, Danny Meyer, Andrew Carmelini, Ashley Christensen, all got together and they were like, how can we work together? How can we have one voice? And what can we ask for in Capitol Hill? And that literally was moved so quickly from like March 11th to March 11th or 12th. We hosted a webinar on March 17th. 3,000 people turned in. Um, There were coalition meetings happening all over the country. And then very quickly, they coalesced into one voice because on you know, for policy purposes, you can't have a million, especially at a time of crisis, you can't have a million people in there asking for different things. It's too confusing. It's too much noise. Um, and so, you know, now they've formed, we formed the Independent Restaurant Coalition, folk, uh, corporations like San Pellegrino and Chase, um, the James Beard Foundation. We all came in with the necessary resources to really hire and engage the best in the business related to policy advocacy on Capitol Hill. So that sort of dirty word you often hear like lobbyists, right? Um, Amazing media um, and social media um, organizers who um, have won great victories, um, especially things like healthcare um, for folks and engage them. And they have been tirelessly at work since, I'm I'm not kidding, I think, um, you know, really like the 19th, 20th of March. And now we're sort of sitting in mid-April and we've won some victories in the first round of stimulus with restaurants being recognized as a class, um, expanding unemployment benefits, um, focusing on seasonal workers, getting money for um, our food systems. And it's not all just the IRC. There are literally hundreds of groups. Um, the National Restaurant Association, whom many may not always engage with, is out there doing this. The Independent Restaurant Coalition is out there doing this. The Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, all the people, the National Fisheries Coalition, all of these groups are out there literally day in and day out, um, talking to members of Congress, talking to leadership, talking to staff. And even now, as we sit in mid-April, where we're already looking for more money because we know that initial stimulus was not enough, um, signing petitions, doing social media. So I would encourage everybody, and this is, you know, it's it's really one of the things that we at James Beard is feel is a common principle that we have, that our voice as individuals and as a collective should be the voice um, 
of the food system in these conversations. And we have the stories, the resources as a community um, to go forth and really ask for things. And the IRC gives us all a common umbrella um, on which to do that in. And, you know, our voices become more powerful if we put them together. And so, you know, I would encourage everybody um, to, you know, to engage in the saverestaurants.co and uh, petition and letter to Congress. I would encourage everyone to um, look at the advocacy resources that mean the most to them. There's certainly other organizations out there that are doing this work. And so if, you know, sustainable agriculture or local farms is a thing that you really care about, you know, there's groups for you. If the rights of undocumented workers at this time is something that is something that you care about. There's, you know, groups that you can join in with. If there's, you know, folks that are, you really care about, uh, restaurant workers and bartenders and beverage folks, there's coalitions there. But what I really love is a lot of those folks are, you know, kind of lending their voice all together to a common ask, which is that we need to save this industry with through some economic stimulus work. Can you just speak for a moment? It went by in a flash. You kind of just expanded on it a little. You used the phrase food systems. Um, now, this is something, again, that, that you know, behind the scenes and personal conversation, it comes up so much. Um, you know, if people saw Danny Meyer's interview on 60 Minutes the other night, I don't know if he used that phrase, but he he very much alluded to it. Can you just speak to the interconnectedness of the food systems? And when you use that term, can you just give a sense of how broadly you would define that? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's it sounds like a generic term in terms of food systems, but restaurants and restaurant workers sit at the center. We're sort of the nexus of our local food communities small farmers, um, local family fisheries, uh, the linen folks, the florists, the dairy folks that drop off um, milk, the bread makers, if we're not making it ourselves, the um, millers who, you know, make grain um, for amazing doughs. This is really a system. So we have to be mindful that, you know, we're out there through the IRC, through the Independent Restaurant Coalition, advocating for the sort of brick and mortar businesses to stay open, right? Like how do we like make sure that the economic capital is there? We're able to rehire folks, but thinking about the spending that the restaurant world does out into the greater community, it's a trillion dollar industry, right? And it's a trillion dollar industry that is on pause. So what is happening to our local farmers, our local fishermen, our local producer, honey producers, our grain manufacturers. I mean, farmers are at this moment deciding whether they should plant, right? Because they don't know when this is going to reopen. And so, you know, we have to, this is a multi-tiered, three-dimensional chess, whatever cliche you want to use, problem. The workers need to be protected. And so unemployment benefits and Medicaid and SNAP and those things that are going to help um, restaurant workers from all levels and all positions um, survive economically through this crisis. So they come out at the end with as little personal debt and as few b- personal bankruptcies as we, you know, the system can manage. It's also that they have jobs to come back to, right? That the businesses are in positions to reopen. So that's economic capital that's even beyond that. That's private investment, government investment, but their are jobs to come back to. And then there's all the, uh, you know, tertiary jobs, all the connected jobs that um, are impacted by those first two things being either out of work or closed. 
right? And that is the other piece that we have to keep in mind. And so when we, it's not, um, you know, it's, these are real humans. These are real jobs, real farms, real boats um, that aren't going out right now or are figuring out how to survive in the same way that restaurants are by diversification. You can now, I mean, local farms and their CSAs right now are fantastic, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. You know, the uh, Baldor, even, uh, you know, luxury um, food provider for, you know, many restaurants is providing, you can order as a consumer now, <laughs> right? I just, I just got a, I just got my second box from the chef's garden in Ohio yesterday. Yep. Yep. And it's great stuff. I yeah. mean, it's great stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, there it's, uh, you know, it's all great stuff and it's great. Um, this is also one of the most creative and adaptable industries. They will figure out the, how to change that, how to fix that problem, right? Are you at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I have personally been very um, increasingly vocally as much as I have a platform, I've been pushing back against the long-term pessimism that seems to be out there. This notion that, you know, we're never going to go back to the way it was. Um, you know, life is forever changed. I do think life is going to be different. I think restaurants for a certain period of time, I'm sure once they reopen, things might be slightly different. But I, I sense in your tone, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but I sense a fellow optimist, big picture. Is that accurate? I am definitely an optimist. So I'm a, sort of a maybe a contrarian optimist. I, I absolutely 100% believe that the restaurant industry has changed forever. I don't think that restaurants will reopen in the same way. This is, in some ways, the greatest gift and silver lining to find in this is this is the opportunity to rebuild our restaurants, rebuild our community in the way that we've been talking about for years at scale, right? How are we more empathetic? How do we have, you know, um, employee and employer relationships, which are better, right? Um, How are we more thoughtful about the way we run our kitchens? How are we more thoughtful about who we purchase from, right? Um, How are we, my hope is that when all these restaurants come back online, that the first thing they do is prioritize their local farmers and producers and give and buy from them first, because, you know, that's the stuff that this is, you know, I look at it as my time to find a silver lining, this fucking sucks, right? There's nothing good about this. I want to go out to eat in restaurants. I spend every day hearing about people's personal and professional pain as we try and navigate this ourselves. The demand on the relief systems, the things like, I mean, we had 400 people on a webinar yesterday to understand the care loans and PPPs to save their businesses. We had you know, a hundred people on a mental health webinar, like we had 4,000 applicants to our own business relief fund, right? That the, the need and the pain out there is so great that I don't want to diminish it. This fucking sucks, right? But let's look at what the opportunities here. And I think people are right. The restaurant industry isn't going to open in the same way that it closed. Um, so how can we open it in a way that we um, embrace the empathy that we've, you know, are building at this time for one another, how do we open it in a prioritization of local food systems and being able to source more locally, more thoughtfully? How is it that we rebuild our staffs and rehire our staffs in a way that takes into account all of the um, things that we have to now take into account? I mean, there's going to be PTSD trauma from this, right? Um, how are we really you know, working with our community of um, customers? So 
you know, that's for me is the optimism, right? Is that we are all going to be back in restaurants someday. We are all going to be enjoying meals. It is, these are our emotional centers. These are the places that hold our most precious memories. And, you know, whether they just be a Saturday afternoon brunch with friends or an engagement or, you know, mourning the death of somebody, these are, these are the centers of our communities. These are the heart of our communities and they will be back. Um, my hope is that what we learn from this situation is how we can come back and be even be even be better contributors to our local communities, even better contributors um, to the food system at large. And so, yeah, so I'm totally optim. I totally agree with the statement that, that you know they're not coming back in the way they were. But my optimism there is that we find a way to come back, even in a more meaningful way, to people. And that's our show for today. Our thanks again to Catherine Miller for joining us. As mentioned during the interview, links to the programs and resources that Catherine mentioned are featured on the episode page for this special report at the andrewtalkstochefs.com website. Our thanks to After School Special for today's music. Please seek them out online and enjoy more of their music. Thanks to our engineer, Margaret Kelly, for mixing these special reports. Our thanks to Sam Pellegrino for making these special reports possible. And our thanks to all of you out there in podcast land. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves. Take a breath. And we will all get through this together. See you tomorrow.